You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had our mission market uh, for the first two Sundays of the month of March, where uh, that was a time that we have annually to help raise support for our high school students going on a mission trip during the summertime, where they basically take a couple of weeks to, to create and make some homemade items, whether that be some baked goods or some, uh, some keychains, some not scrub daddies, but like certain things that you can use to wash pots and pans with, uh, some painted seashells, a, a whole plethora of things. And they create these things, and then at the mission market, it's time for you as the church body, you and I, to go and purchase these goods and items to help raise support for the students so that they can go on their trip. And so at this market, for two weeks, we had all of these items. We also had some, some vouchers for yard work services. Uh, some of the baked goods were like cookies and brownies, speaking my love language, uh, and, and uh, some pralines, banana bread. There was some beef jerky. And throughout the morning, I had different conversations with different folks and some of our members here, and I heard some, some reports about, yeah, you know, I've got these, these cookies here are for my grandkids, or yeah, this right here will be dessert for us later. But then I also had a conversation with one member who was detailing about how many pralines he had already eaten in the morning and how many cookies. And, and I'm, he's not the only one. We're sharing it together. I'm like, yeah, me too, me too. And then he looks at me. He says, you know what? You know what this shows me right now? How much I love missions. How much I love missions. That I would eat brownies for breakfast for the sake of missions. And I said, yes and amen, brother. It's a great way to spin it. But the reality is, we don't want to drag away from that these high school students, they're saying, I will take a week out of my summer to go to Baja, Mexico, to serve for a week, to partner with the ministries that are already there on the ground, to hopefully encourage them, support them, and continue the work of ministry that they're doing. And not just them, but that even in a couple weeks, that our uh, college students, not even a couple weeks, next week, our college students will be going on mission trip to Memphis, Tennessee, during their master's week, their spring break, that they're taking that time to go to Memphis and serve. Going to love. Amen. We could clap for that and support that. Some of you, if you're honest, you're like, that ain't how I spent my spring break back when I was in college. But the Lord has brought you a long way. But that's what they're doing. And as silly as the story is about brownies for breakfast, I think that the reasoning is still the same. That it's their love for missions that has compelled them to go. Their love for the mission of God that has brought them to a place of saying, I will sacrifice, I will give up a week that I could use to spend any way that I want. Whether that be playing video games, whether that be working the masters and making money. No, instead I'll spend money so that I can go and love and serve others. That mission 
the mission of God. As we're in this sermon series, Share the Love, we've been looking at different aspects and components of the heart of God and the things that God loves that we are to love as well, share in the love with him, but then also share it with others that they may abound in this love as well. Where last week we looked at the love for the campus, and this week we are looking at the love for mission, the mission of God specifically. But what is the mission of God? Well, if we had to put it in one word, I would say redemption. That the mission of God is to redeem sinful humanity. That's what we see from Genesis to Revelation. That God has been on mission to redeem sinful humanity. Yes, it started with Adam and Eve in the garden as they sinned and fell from God's glorious standard in Genesis 3. They created humanity's need for redemption, although God already in his omnipotence and omniscience knew and had this plan, this mission set even before creation, but that because of Adam and Eve's sin, Romans 3 also tells us that we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, that we all, if we're honest, would admit that we're not perfect. We're not perfect in saying the right thing at the right time, the right way, or doing the right thing, or maybe even doing the right thing for the right reasons. We don't think the right thoughts 100% of the time. None of us are perfect. And therefore, we all have fallen from God's perfection, his holiness, and his standard for purity. But even though the first humans doubted God and rejected his love and authority and failed to trust in his goodness, passing that down to you and I, his mission to redeem his sinful creation was demonstrated through his pursuit. That in Genesis, we see in Genesis 3, just after the fall, we see God walking in the garden calling out to Adam, pursuing him. He approached them, trying to go about this mission to redeem them. Throughout the Old Testament, we continue to see God establishing covenants with his people where he was graciously and mercifully pursuing relationship with humanity, but it was their innate sinful nature that caused them to continue to turn their backs away from God, but yet his mission to redeem persisted. And eventually we get to the New Testament and see the clearest and most tangible expression of this mission in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we'll pick up with our main text this morning, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and we'll examine this one encounter, and be it just just one, but it demonstrates Jesus walking in this mission and how he upholds it perfectly as he shares the heart of God as the image of the invisible God. So in verse 1 it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he, Jesus, has gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I will give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And I have exhorted any, and if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. 
Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. God, with the reading of your word, we ask that you will minister to us right now, Holy Spirit. Help us to see your heart for your mission that we may share in that as you give us the desires of our heart, God, that they may be your desires. In Jesus' name, amen. So with that last verse in verse 10, we clearly see the point that Jesus embodied this mission, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that he walked the earth as the physical embodiment of the mission of God with that purpose, with that mission in mind and that heart set that says, I want to seek and save the lost. And we see that happening in this one encounter, but let's not, let's not miss the surrounding circumstances through which this mission of God came to be fulfilled, where the setting was clear that, that Jesus was passing through. He was passing through. He had somewhere to be, something else to do. He had a, 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 a direction in mind. And as he was passing through, walking along, it was then in this moment that Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. He had redemption on his mind. And not like Drake, if you know his album, but he had true redemption. He desired to encounter Zacchaeus in order to offer him grace and salvation. See, Jesus demonstrated this kingdom principle that must be understood by you and I as his followers today, that the mission of God is not a one-time event. It is life on mission. It's life on mission. That's what we tell our mission teams. Like, hey, it's great that you're going on this mission trip. Great that you want to go to a city or to a country. But understand that you're not waiting for, you know, 20 weeks out when you get on that plane or when you load up in that van for the mission to start. The mission started when you became a follower of Jesus. You live life on mission. We see this in Jesus' interaction here, that he had a, a place to be, that he was actually, if you read in verse 11, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And, and verse 11 begins the, the account of his triumphal entry, what we know and celebrate now as, as, as Palm Sunday, which is actually next Sunday. And, and so Jesus was on his way to be worshipped and honored, sure, but he was ultimately on his way to lay his life down on the cross. This is where Jesus was going. But even then, Jesus made time for one man that he may be saved. He allowed himself to be interrupted because his heart was set on the mission of God. I want you to notice also that Jesus did not allow the complaints and the opinions of the outsiders to hinder him from the mission. I want you to see the beauty of our Lord, that, that God in his mission to redeem sinful humanity sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life, that this Jesus, God gave his only son for this mission, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus laid down his life. Scripture says that no one took it from him. He laid it down. Jesus gave his life for this mission. He was obeying the Father even to the point of death. And as he submitted to the Father's mission to bring redemption to those who turn from their sins and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we were just singing of. Not for a minute have I been forsaken. 
The Lord is in this place. This same Lord, this same Lord that is on mission to redeem sinful humanity has engaged and intervened in your life. You have encountered him and he has saved your soul. This is the God who is worthy of our worship, and he's also worthy of our joining in on the mission and all the sacrifices that we will have to make as we also lay our lives down for the sake of the mission. See, God accomplishes his mission through the work of his son, but by the reach of his people. God accomplishes the mission, his mission, through the work of his son by the reach of his people. Again, Jesus demonstrated the mission of God was not a one-time event. Instead, he ministered and, and sought the redemptive work in the life of Zacchaeus, even as he passed by. It shows us that the, the, the mission of God goes beyond an occasional mission trip, and that to be about God's kingdom business means that we have to not only look for lost people when we go on a mission trip, but that we look for them around us. We look for them in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our jobs that he's called us to join in on this mission, and we don't wait and say, well, I I'll wait till I'm on a trip. I'll wait till I'm moving in a certain direction like Jesus was, or when I sign up for one of these mission trips to go to Mexico or to go to Memphis, and then I will look for lost people. But no, instead, we follow in Jesus' example. And we walk, we engage, different people, different conversations, but with the mission in the forefront of our minds. See, praise God for our team of college students going on trip, leaving this coming Saturday, I believe. And, and praise God for our high school students that will be leaving later this summer. But I don't want you to make the mistake of believing that if you're not going on these trips, then you're not in the mission. Then you're not in the game, that you're, you're sidelined, you're, you're on the bench, you're waiting. That is not the heart of God. You don't have to wait until next year. On the way to your cubicle this week, you can encounter people just like Jesus did and minister to them. You can live on mission at your job. You may have Zacchaeus in your life, people who are, are figuratively speaking, climbing up a tree, hoping to see and be met by the Jesus that you and I believe in and sing about because they're wanting to have some of this Jesus in their life. Maybe they see the hope that you have, the joy in the midst of sorrow, the peace in the presence of suffering, the honesty, the honesty that you have, being bold and confessing things even if it brings consequences your way that are hurtful, but you're doing it out of the conviction because of your love for Jesus. They see that. They're curious about it. They want that hope and that joy and that peace. But do we notice them? Do we slow down to engage them? I had a moment recently. It was actually after neighborhood cleanup last month in February where uh, I was going to UPS. I had a package to, to ship off. And on my, I was three steps away from opening the door when I see a man encounter me saying, hey, man, listen, I'm not trying to take advantage of you, but I've, been, I've hit some hard times. And if you could just give me a couple of bucks so I can go in Little Caesars and, and get me a, a, a quick pizza, I, I really appreciate it. And me, not being Jesus, quickly ready to dismiss him because I never have cash on me. I say, oh, sorry, bro. I don't have any, any money on me. 
and I'm ready to, like my foot is halfway off the ground so I can keep moving, keep going about my day. And he says, hey, man, again, I'm not trying to take advantage of you. Would you mind just going in Little Caesars and buying the pizza for me? And it felt like time slowed down as though God was, was trying to, to put a mirror in front of me to say, do you see yourself right now? That the Jesus that you know and love, that made time for you, that in this passage made time for Zacchaeus, even on the way to do the important work that he was doing, not shipping a package, but on the way to lay down his life for those who believe in him, that he made time for Zacchaeus. But yet you are insisting that shipping a package is more important than this man having food to eat. And by God's grace, I was able to see that and understand what God was showing me in the moment and take time to go and buy the food with him and have a short conversation with him. But when I think of that, my hesitance, that maybe you can relate to that, that, that you have a hesitation. It's not your natural inclination to make time for people, especially when they appear to be in need in a way that you're confused or maybe curious about or doubtful of. How easy it is to breeze by them, to keep going about your way. Do we notice the Zacchaeuses around us? See, it's God's desire and his design for those who he has redeemed to join the mission for redemption of others that are still in need of it. We see this articulated quite clearly by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, everything is from God. God is the creator of the world and everything in it. Everything is from him who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against, this, against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You see what that means? You're in the game. You're in the game. God has selected you. If you are saved, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not called to ride the bench. You're not called to sit on the sideline and watch other people go on mission trips and say, good for them. They could do it. They could share the gospel. I can't quite articulate it that well. I'll watch them. No, you're called to be in the game. Going back to the story that I began with, about the silly conversation about brownies and cookies for breakfast, as silly as that sounds, the heart of it is really true. That again, if you're someone who purchased from that missions market, or maybe you supported the, the spaghetti dinner that we had for the college students back last year, if you supported that, then you financially supported people who are going on mission as ministers of reconciliation, that these people are going on mission, sure, on a mission trip, but you're saying, hey, I'm not going, but I'm going to help you go. You're living on mission by financially or prayerfully supporting a brother or sister who is going about the mission work in a different way. And I appreciate those of you who have done that, who are praying for our teams, who are financially supporting our teams. But it does not mean that you're on the sideline if you're not going. Maybe you can't go for a, a work, you couldn't get the time off, or maybe you have health issues, but it doesn't mean you're on the bench. The only way that you're on the sideline watching others is if you're not living on mission on a day-to-day -day basis. Then you're watching as a bystander, but God wants you in the game. 
God wants you reaching out to those with whom you have proximity and influence. So make no mistake about it. I've also had conversations with that same brother where he has shared with me his heart, how he is praying and asking God and and carefully considering how he can be on mission to the people around him. That there are people with whom he's thinking, man, I want to engage in conversation. I want to share my testimony, but I want to figure out how exactly best I can go about it. I don't want to treat it as a cookie-cutter thing. I want to approach this person. I know the need that they have, so as best as I can, I want to go in and meet it. I want to show them the Jesus who can meet it. I want to show them the Jesus that transformed my life. He's living on mission, and he's supporting others who are doing the same. See, it's worth emphasizing that living on mission, sharing God's heart for redemption, means that we are exporting something that we have. We're not exporting something that has not been imported to us. We're not going around telling about a Jesus that we don't know. That ultimately what this passage is showing us, Paul is writing and saying that, hey, the only thing that qualifies you to join in this mission is salvation. It's Jesus himself. If you are someone who says, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I don't quite know the Bible. I can't quite quote passages or scriptures. That doesn't disqualify you. If you're someone who's saying, man, I I feel like I I can't quite get my vocabulary together. Sometimes I wonder if people understand what I'm saying when I'm saying it. I feel like that right now. (laughs) Truth be told. But it doesn't disqualify us. What qualifies you is the work that Jesus has done in your life. And that is what you can go and tell about. You don't have to be able to memorize the Bible to be able to say, listen, my life looked completely different before I knew Jesus. Let me tell you about it. What we do here, what we train our mission teams to tell or share is their two-minute miracle. And all it is is not time per se, but it's saying, hey, briefly, tell about what your life looked like before you knew Jesus. Man, I was more lost than lost. I struggled living two different lives because I grew up learning about God enough to where I felt like part of my life at least needed to present like I knew him to people who believed in God as well. But man, when they turned their backs, I was a whole different person. I did what I wanted. I tried to hide from my parents. I lied. I stole. This was my life before Jesus. But when I met Jesus, I met Jesus because I realized that this This duplicity, this dual life, it was too much. It was exhausting. I had the biggest burden on my shoulders because I was trying to carry two different personas and and I'm trying to present one way to one crowd and another way to another. And I feel like God met me and showed me that I can't hide from him. And in that moment, I cried out to Jesus. The God that I had been learning about all my life, but I knew of, but I didn't know. You can know about someone. You can know of someone and not actually know them. You know of Iron Man, but you've never met him. I knew of Jesus, but I didn't know him. But in that moment, when I cried out to him, asking him to be my Savior and my Lord, 
In that moment, I felt like I encountered the presence of God, and it was so tangibly present. He was present in such a way that I realized that something was different, that the things that I desired of old were being taken out of my heart. I no longer wanted the things that I wanted. Instead, I wanted the things that would please God. I was more willing to sacrifice and give up the things that would please me, but would dishonor God. And it's only because he changed my heart. You don't have to be able to quote the Bible. Should you try? Absolutely. Study, learn, read. But it's not a qualification to be able to tell your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. He wants you to doubt your skill, your ability, and make you feel like you're not eloquent enough. But we can see even in the life of Moses in the Old Testament that he felt the same way, that he even told God that. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't quite speak. You you see how I'm stuttering you? You see what I've got going on here? I can't go to Pharaoh. And what did God do? He assured him that it was God's presence alone in his life, in Moses' life and ministry, that would be the only thing that Moses would need in order to accomplish what God had set for him. Another thing that can make us feel disqualified will be our struggles with sin in our lives. That it can make us feel like we need to ride the bench. I can't, I can't share about Jesus because I'm still struggling with this particular sin. Don't believe that lie. The basis of the gospel is that you were chosen, you were loved, and you were forgiven, not because you had it all together or even at least somewhat together, but because of what Jesus had already done by laying his life down for yours. You are a work in progress. He is continuing that work, and we should surrender to that work. We should surrender to it. Absolutely. Don't be a hypocrite going around telling people about Jesus as though they need him more than you do. It's a work that we should surrender to, but that we should also keep in mind that God is continuing to work in me. And I can tell of what Jesus has done in my life already, and I can tell also of what he's continuing to do, that he's still working on me. But I'm going to let him do it. To be on mission is to be intentional about God's redemptive work in us as well as through us. We let God's redemptive work continue. Well, we have been restored to right relationship with the Father, but the process of sanctification is lifelong. He is setting us free from old mindsets, old habits, old opinions, old philosophies, old ways, and he's bringing us into the image of Christ. We must be about that work just as much as we are about sharing it with others. When we come in with a heart posture that echoes the psalmist and says, God, point out anything in me, anything, anything about my thoughts, anything about my my speech, anything about my knee-jerk reactions, anything about my, my personality that I use as a crutch. My wife has this saying that you're not a slave to your personality. We like to try I can't be on mission. I can't share my faith. I can't share what Jesus has done in my life because I'm an introvert. Nobody. You think the God that wired you that way is saying, yeah, you can sit on the bench? Absolutely not. We surrender these things. God, show me what is in my life, what is part of my nature that is my default, but that is not pleasing to you because I want your mission 
to be present in my life and through it. And when we come to that place, that place of surrender, that posture of worship, what do we do? Practically speaking, what does it look like for us to live life on mission? We've got that, yes, it can include mission trips. Occasionally, if we sign up for those when we can, great. We should try if we are able, but that it is not exclusive to a mission trip, that we should be on mission in our workplaces, in our gyms, on our sports teams, in our classrooms. But what do we do when we get there? What does it look like? I think there are several answers to this where you could Google missions organizations and and find several different ones domestically and internationally that ultimately do things different in regards to how they do mission trips, but that even if you consider here at In Focus Church what we do and the different initiatives and ministries that we have and partner with, like, like Augusta Rescue Mission, like the neighborhood cleanup that we do, like Family Promise, that if you look out, even in our city, you will find multiple different ways, multiple different practical details that are executed differently. That's perfectly okay. But I think that what we'll find is that they all fall under one umbrella. That these organizations, these ministries, they're trying to love their neighbor. They're people trying to love their neighbor. That one of the greatest ways for you and I to live on mission is to love our neighbor. We don't have to overthink it. We don't have to find individual ways to systematize God's mission. Sure, that might be helpful for an organization's sake or or for a a, a specific ministry structure. But personally, what it means and looks like for you and I to live life on mission, to carry God's mission, to redeem sinful humanity as a minister of reconciliation, what it looks like, what it should start with is loving your neighbor. Because if it doesn't, What we'll end up doing is we'll end up treating people as the mission themselves, as something to be fixed, something to be worked on, instead of treating the mission as what it truthfully is, which is redemption. Pastor Brent taught on loving our neighbor a couple of weeks ago, and he shared that the neighbor that God puts before us is oftentimes not the neighbor that we would choose for ourselves, that we don't choose the family that we're born into or adopted into. But God, God does. And because families can be difficult, we can sometimes overlook family members who are in need of redemption. Say, nah, it's just too difficult. It's a little too much to try to start that conversation. I'm a little worried that if I go and share my story with them, they might air out my dirty laundry in front of the rest of the family. So I'd rather just avoid all of that. Might be more comfortable for you. Might be easier. Let's not overlook our family to be on mission to the other people because it's easier. Because they might be people that God has placed in proximity to you because you're the one or one of the people who will plant seeds or water seeds for it to grow as God ultimately does the work. You're just called to share the story. You're just called to share the story. I've had conversations with Mark, our our campus uh, minister, who you saw last week as he was telling about all the things that God is doing on the campus through ENC. And I've had many conversations with him about, hey, man, how, how do you guys go about doing this? Like, it's awesome that you're saying seven salvations happen in a two day time span. It's awesome that that last semester you had over 10 salvations. But what, what are you doing? And he's always had the same response. Even we just plant seeds and water them. That's all we do. 
We don't bring the growth. God does. We just share. We share. We share what God has done in our life. We share God's love for people. We engage them relationally. We love our neighbor. And it's through that that God moves, that God is ministered. God is ministering before we even encounter these people. He's doing a work that we can't see, but as we go and drop a seed or as we go and pour some water, as we go in love, God is cultivating something. He's bringing some growth. See, our neighbor extends to anyone that we encounter with needs that we're able to meet. And I thought about that, and I realized that we can hide in that sometimes. Like I was so tempted to do. I was ready to keep moving at UPS. Sorry, brother, I, I can't meet that need. I got no cash. Let me keep moving along. But I think that what God showed me is that ultimately, sure, there is a, a present and immediate need that might be presented to you. And sometimes you can't meet it, but that does not excuse you from loving your neighbor. That doesn't excuse you from being on mission in that moment. That doesn't excuse you from sharing the heart of God. No need to love that neighbor. No need to carry the mission. You can't meet that need. If we remember in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, there came a point where the Good Samaritan was no longer able to meet the needs of the man. He said, hey, I've, I've got to go do some business he didn't just say, leave, good luck, hope everything goes well for you. He paid enough for the man to stay for the duration of the time that he would be away and promised, I'll be back. I'll be back. And I'll pay anything, any other expenses that come up between now and then, I'll pay it when I return. But I'm coming back to follow up. And I think what we can glean from that is that sometimes we can't meet the immediate need. Or maybe we can only meet it so far. But the relationship doesn't have to end. The mission, the, the pursuit of mission in that relationship, in that engagement, in that person's life does not have to end there. That sometimes we follow up. Well, we should follow up all the time. But sometimes all we can do is follow up. Sometimes all we can do is offer prayer. Sometimes all we can do is sit in silence. Sometimes all we can do is cry with them. Sometimes all we can do is share a meal with them. But if the pursuit of our hearts is worship to God as we love our neighbor, not only are we obeying what Jesus summarizes the two greatest commandments, love for God and love for our neighbor, but we're also living life on mission, trusting that it's not just a one-time event that I have the opportunity to be on mission in this person's life, to be on mission in this present scenario. And if I leave it, then it's gone and I just got to look for another. But we're trusting God that it's life on mission, and that maybe next time or maybe the time after that, God, if you keep allowing me to breathe breath and, and see the light, uh, light of a new day and engage this person again, that you're going to continue to give me opportunities to plant seeds and water them, and you're going to send other people to plant seeds and water them, and you're going to continue to be on mission. God is the one who initiated the mission in the life of this one person. And God, I just get to do it with you. What I'm saying so if, we, if we genuinely want to live on mission by loving our neighbor well, we will commit to serving our neighbor as we learn of their needs. It's not just the one time. What, what do you need? Oh, I can't help you. But here's what I can do. 
And maybe next time that I see you, maybe I can do a little more, but I'd love to see you again. The service may be doing exactly what's needed in the moment, or maybe it's not. But as we pursue the mission of God, slowly but surely building relationships, God will continue to open doors for us to extend our love beyond the needs of this side of eternity. And it may take some time, but as God has patiently and graciously pursued you and I, you know that it wasn't just your first time hearing the gospel where God said, hey, now, now is the time. Then maybe you had to hear it time and time again before you actually responded in faith. But we need to represent him well by being patient with the people that we're aiming to be ministers of reconciliation with. That's sure, you might invite somebody to church and it might have took a lot for you. Maybe it was your first time doing it or first time doing it with that person and it took a lot of boldness. You, you prayed for the boldness for the Holy Spirit to embolden you and give you the grace to be what you needed when you needed it. And you actually shared and invited somebody and they declined. But it doesn't mean that you keep moving it on trying to find the next person. Sure, invite other people, but don't count them out. Don't turn your back away from them just because they didn't accept your invitation. Continue to be on mission there as well as here. Pray for them all the while, asking God to draw that person, asking God to give you opportunities to share this message of reconciliation because of your heart as you desire to share in the mission of God. But it starts with us slowing down, like Jesus, living life on mission in our daily engagements with people, even as we're passing through, not limiting it to a mission trip or a one-time event, we live with the Great Commission in mind. That Jesus called us to, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. But we do it with the promise that Jesus left with, that he is with us always to the end of the age, that that is the greatest, the greatest comfort that we can have, that Jesus goes with us, that I'm not at UPS engaging this man alone. And it was in the silent prayers under my breath that, that I believe God answered and said, let me show you yourself right now so that you can see where you are, but so that you can also see me and see the other way of how Jesus would actually handle the moment. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit with you, but also... You don't have to minister alone. You don't have to be on mission alone. Imagine what it would look like if you got together and locked arms with the people, the other Christians at your job, the other Christians on your team, the other Christians at your school, and you said, hey, let's, in, uh, let's invite this person to join us at lunch. Let's share our testimonies together. Maybe not overwhelm the person by sharing three stories back to back, but but. Say, hey, join me in praying for this person because I think they're in need of redemption. They might be a little like Zacchaeus. They might be crying out, climbing up, asking for help, looking for the joy that we have, looking for the hope that we have. But I don't have to do it alone. You're friends with them too. They're your coworker as well. That's our teammate. 
minister together, be on mission together. There's more joy in that, but you've also got grace that God has given you because he doesn't want you to do it alone anyway. Not that you can't share the gospel by yourself, but that in the community of the church, this is where the relationships are, where we iron sharpens iron. We protect each other. We call each other up. We stir one another towards good works and say, hey, no, 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 no. You share your testimony this time. I did it last time. Not because I'm trying to free myself, but because I want you to grow as well. So right now, I want to bring us into a time of reflection and response because I think that ultimately what we saw, even in that passage in Luke, is that Jesus, Jesus called Zacchaeus to the same. That in that moment, Jesus encountered him in such a way that acknowledged, hey, you have to respond. There's a response that's demanded in, in relationship with Jesus and in encounters with Jesus. We're first, yes, unto salvation, but even as saved people, that we must respond in faith and surrender. Surrender our hearts again. Surrender our, our lives. Surrender in a moment and say, God, here right now, I want your will, not mine. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.